DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. I'm gonna fly higher I'm gonna fly Welcome to the Donald Thompson Podcast. I have here with me my guest, Jarrett Nobles. Jarrett and I got to know each other several years ago, have kept in touch with email and social media, but haven't got to spend the time like we would like to. And so Jarrett, welcome to the Donald Thompson Podcast. Thank you for having me. I definitely appreciate the opportunity. So one of the things we're gonna jump into today, and Jarrett, I'm gonna give you some space after a brief introduction, is Jarrett has a phenomenal and growing career in the marketing space, in the partnership space, business development space, in the sports and entertainment industry. And so that's a space that a lot of people aspire to get into, to be a part of the fabric of kind of that superstar arena and that component of athletics that really drives us as a part of our economic engine and also a part of our entertainment fabric. But I got to know Jarrett as he was finishing up his MBA at Fuqua School of Business at Duke University. And so Jarrett, why don't you take a few minutes so that we're all talking as friends, tell our audience about you where you were raised, brothers, sisters, so we can get to know you, then we'll dig into a few topics. No, for sure. So uh, Jarrett Nobles, native of the uh, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, DMV, as our friends uh, up north call it. Born in Jersey, but grew up there. I have five younger siblings, uh, two sisters and three brothers. I was fortunate enough to go to the Matha Catholic High School, which is uh, all boys sports powerhouse based in Hyattsville, Maryland. Tremendous experience, definitely played a major role in terms of making me the person I am today. From there, I attended Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida, historically black college, uh, which you can see here behind me. I had to pay homage to my alma mater. While I was on campus, I was, was very involved in a lot of different things. Actually, some friends and I actually co-founded a company that I like to say was in the event promotion lifestyle marketing space, which is a fancy way of saying after parties. The, the party promoter on campus, you never really knew or thought that it would lead to anything, but I can remember a very distinct conversation where my business partners and I had the very real conversation around, is it something that was just cool in college or do we want to keep doing it? Do we want to, you know, try to grow? And we decided we would continue trying to do the events. And we essentially started doing events in all the cities where we got our first jobs. 
I was in St. Louis, but I had partners in you know, D.C., Chicago, and Houston. And you know, essentially, we were working by day in one you know, one job, and by night we were doing these events. And so I was living a double life there, if you will, moonlighting doing doing these events. And uh, in St. Louis, we realized quickly that we couldn't generate the same kind of a revenue through a traditional cover charge as we could in our larger markets, D.C., Chicago, and Houston. But we had a young professional demographic and, and companies really gravitated towards the events that we were doing. Uh, we started out with a happy hour series that we called Cocktails to Connect, really started working with nonprofit organizations and big companies in St. Louis, where we were able to source you know, talent as it pertains to you know, big brothers, big sisters, um, mentors, and uh, people who could then work with those types of organizations, and then tie in you know, brands who wanted to do well as well, you know, kind of do well by doing good. And by tying all that together, I was able to, to put together just a wealth of experience uh, working with sponsors. I was able to, to finagle my way uh, into an opportunity with the Houston Astros, uh, which is a whole other story in and of itself. But you know, after working at Edward Jones for four years in St. Louis in their headquarters, I decided that I would take the $30,000 pay cut and <laughs> go work for the Astros, which was you know, one of the most you know, amazing experiences of my life was you know, really you know, it, it was funny. It was like, you know, you, you always said you would chase a dream, right? And then when it's placed in front of you, taking the opportunity in spite of the pay cut, you know, was something I just felt like was too good to pass up. From there, I was at Houston an interesting time. The ownership had just acquired the team. And, you know, there was just a lot of transition. But I learned so much, you know, in a lot of ways I was doing for the Astros in a large scale way what I had been doing for the company I started. And, you know, I just really became enamored with the concept that brands and organizations want to be a part of the activities that consumers enjoy. And I just like started eating up. I became a nerd and really as it pertains to just that concept. And then after a couple of years, uh, I applied for and was accepted into a program called MLT. I, I was in the MBA prep program. They actually have multiple layers of the program, but for the MBA prep program, it's really cool because it's, you know, 300 underrepresented minorities who all have aspirations of going to business school. And they built it to the point now where I think like 90% of the, the fellows end up getting accepted into a top 10 MBA program. And so, you know, I was able to, again, kind of finagle my way into the Fuqua School of Business at Duke, which was a phenomenal couple of years of my life. Definitely enjoyed it. You know, while I was there, I was the student that was going left when everybody was going right. I knew for a fact I didn't really want to do the traditional career thing. And, you know, I think that was probably just by way of, you know, I didn't go to school until seven years post undergrad. So I was 30 when I started my MBA because I was in undergrad for five because I had done an internship that was a six month internship. So I was in school for an extra year. But yeah, so, you know, spending you know two years in business school kind of going a different way than everybody else was just an interesting experience. You know, I, I had a chance to intern for an artificial intelligence tech startup in Silicon Valley. And then, you know, when I came back, I was my second year, I was planning conferences. You know, I planned the Media Entertainment Sports Conference, the Entrepreneurship Venture Capital Conference, and the Media Entertainment Sports Conference, or let's say the Minority Business Conference. And really the whole goal was just, you know, I figured it'd be one thing if I said, hey, Donald, will you tell me my career? It'd be another thing if I said, hey, will you come speak at Duke? And I tried to emphasize Duke, you know, and use that as much as possible. Use that, that good, you know, duke.edu email address because I figured people would be more inclined to take the email. And so as such, really looked at business school as like a two-year business trip and, you know, was able to leverage those conferences to build a network in industries I was most interested in. Graduated business school and I was in the, you know, five or 6% that graduated without a job offer. But that was somewhat by design because I knew I wanted to do some things that were very specific. 
you know, I was fortunate enough to attend a conference where I had an opportunity to receive an offer from a company in Chicago, as well as a startup in Austin. You know, and it was funny because I really wanted to go to Chicago. My grandparents are there. My mother is from Chicago originally, but I uh, ended up taking the offer in Austin. And I was in Austin for all of, oh man, probably six months before I was laid off. <laughs> and so, you know, it was definitely interesting kind of moving your whole life. Graduated from business school, you get this top 10 MBA, get laid off, then literally six days before Christmas, and then applied cold for a position doing business development with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I was offered the position. So I moved to Cleveland in March of 2018. We went to the NBA Finals. And then on July 1st, you know, a star player decided to move to Los Angeles and uh, play for the Lakers. And so, yeah, it was definitely a very interesting experience. I, you know, learned a lot. I was there for two years, was able to have some success while I was there. And then, you know, applied for, actually reached out to my current boss, who was the chief revenue officer at the Chargers. Uh, we had actually built a relationship because he saw an article I had published and actually literally reached out just inquiring to learn more about an opportunity that was available and kind of got thrown into an interview process. And I was fortunate enough to be selected for my current role where I'm a director of business development for the Los Angeles Chargers. That is a powerful five-minute journey in try, fail, adjust, learn from every situation and keep your attitude moving forward. I want to ask you about kind of your perspective as you went through what could be considered a little windy road. Like, how did you keep it positive? How did you keep it focused forward? Because everything didn't work out according to any plan you might have thought. Six months, then get laid off, moving your life into different cities. How did you keep yourself focused on keeping it moving forward? You know, that's a really interesting question. I think if I was to be honest, you know, it's easy to connect the dots looking backwards, right? Like it's easy to, to tell the story and I can, I can condense it in such a way where it's like, oh, it looks like you had the whole thing planned out. And I can tell you when I threw my first party, I had no clue I'd work for an NFL team one day. Like, I mean, I'd be fortunate to work for, you know, Major League Baseball, NBA, and NFL for that matter. But I think, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, for me, I'm really grounded in, you know, my faith, my family, and I think, and my friends. And I think that, you know, by really having that strong support group, you know, I like to say that I'm the kid whose parents told him that he could be whatever he wanted to be when he grew up. And I actually believed it, if that makes sense. You know, you know, people say that a lot, but I don't know that everybody really takes hold of what that means. And I was fortunate, you know, I was able to graduate from undergrad with no student loan debt. So I was able to, you know, that, that pay cut, if you will, you know, I was able to, to, to try things because I wasn't, I didn't have the burden of debt hanging over, over my head, if that makes sense. And so I can't say I did it by myself. I think that I've had a really strong community that's always pushed me. You know, the, the thing about it is, I mean, I've, moved, I've lived in 10 cities. I graduated high school in 2003. Los Angeles is my 10th move since then. And so I think there's another part that's just, you know, not being afraid to, you know, try new things, if that makes sense. And, you know, I, I stay plugged into to everybody who's ever been a part of the journey. I literally can't do it without them. No, that's super powerful. And, and I like the, the threads of nuggets that you're layering into it because what you described is I stay plugged in to everybody that's been a part of my journey. And one of the things I'll say that you do pretty regularly in the way we keep in touch and I keep up with you is maybe every three months you yeah. send like a note to the people in your network and friends about, hey, listen, this is what I've been up to. And yeah. quite frankly, like I look forward to what you've been up to those three or four months. Why did you start doing that? Where did that idea come from? But it's great. When I got laid off, 
I've started sending emails like every month, like, hey, just one heads up, I got laid off. Here's all the places I'm looking. You know, I think you spend all this time like building this network, right? Whether it's, you know, going to FAMU or MLT or Duke and it's like people, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe uh, not as comfortable reaching out when they need something. So, you know, initially it just started out like, hey, like I'm not working. Here's where I'm thinking about working. Like, can somebody help point me in the right direction? Do you know anybody there? Like, you know, can you just, you know, throw me a bone? And then when I got hired by the Cavs, you know, I'll never forget the email I sent then was like, okay, well, I don't want to be the guy who only reaches out when he needs something. I also don't want to reach out every month. So let me decrease the frequency and we'll make it once a quarter. And I've tried my best to really stick to that. And it's crazy, you know, because, you know, right after the summer of 2018 and we had changes with the roster, it was a tough time. And I think that I was so caught up with everything that was going on that I forgot to send a couple. There was probably a good six month stretch where I didn't send out anything. And I forget, there are two people, you know, one was the head of diversity at Major League Baseball, the other the head of diversity at the NBA, who I bumped into literally randomly at different times. And they were like, you know, hey, Jared, like, where's your email? And I was like, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy because they had never responded. Like, they'd never, ever responded to anything I had sent. And they were like, literally individually, you know, in different settings, like, hey, I, I miss your note. And I think that is when it resonated. Like, you never know who's paying attention. And I think that's been the recurring theme throughout my life is just the willingness to give and to keep everybody just connected. Oh, man, that's powerful and powerful that you followed through keeping your network active. Right. And it was a it was a simple thing that you decided to do for whatever reason, but you've continued. And I I remember it personally. One of the things that you said earlier on that I want to come back to as we talk about brands, and that's really where you live and play, right? You've worked with the NFL, you've worked with Major League Baseball, right? Now in the NBA, all of these marquee, iconic brands. But now what it is that you do with these brands to make them special, as you said, you create an opportunity for brands to participate where their consumers are engaged. And so expand upon that as it ties to what your work is, what you've learned, That'd be helpful to our audience. Oh, for sure. Look, <laughs> put it simply, you know, my job is to build relationships with uh, organizations who are looking to accomplish some type of objective, right? It could be an organization that has a consumer-facing product that wants to grow their sales or grow their brand awareness, right? And, you know, I think the cool thing about sports entertainment is that, you know, I like to say we have this thing, and I know, you know, it's really eloquent, but we have this thing that people get irrationally passionate about. And because of that, you know, you're really able to drive behavior. You know, people remember growing up watching the games with their dad or with their mom or with their siblings. And, you know, it's a part of who they are. They really do. I don't think I realized how much being a part of a professional sports team was until I worked in baseball. I mean, literally, you're a public trust. Like, everything you do can make the news, right? And so, you know, it just made me much more mindful of, you know, not just the impact of the organization, but even the impact of the employees, right? Like it's it's big news. And so the cool thing about what I get a chance to do every day is I get a chance to almost be a consultant. You know, I have my friends that went to go work at, you know, Bain, BCG and McKinsey and, you know, Deloitte, all the big, you know, consulting firms. And I kind of get to do the same thing in a in a really kind of focused and targeted way where I'm calling companies saying, hey, 
how can we help you sell more of your products to more people? Or, hey, you're doing this really cool thing in the community. If we throw our weight behind it, does that now, are we the megaphone? Do we amplify the good that you're doing in the community, right? And so, you know, essentially, I get a chance to really, you know, take a deeper dive into different organizations and really understand what their goals are, what their objectives are, how they're thinking about things. And then from there, we really kind of put together a partnership that really is, you know, mission focused and objective oriented. And, you know, it's, it's evolved. I think, you know, your question about the lessons, you know, a lot of what we do, you see like the signs in the arena or in the stadium, you see a jersey patch here or there. We have this asset of, you know, the team and the experiences and some of the money can't buy, you know, get a chance to meet players or post game this or that. And, you know, really think through how those different experiences can be beneficial to organizations for whatever they're trying to accomplish, right? Be it children who are, are sick and want to, you know, give them you know, a make-a-wish type of experience and or, you know, you're trying to entertain your top clients. I mean, there's so many things that sports are to different people. I mean, we get a chance to really think through creative ways to just help organizations accomplish their objective. Oh, man, that's powerful and insightful. And we can apply that really the many things we all think about in business and entrepreneurship. And you described very succinctly, you're in the relationship business. And we talked about how you develop that personally, how you're doing that for brands that you associate with. And at the end of the day, especially during the economic times that we're in, where it's harder to get deals done, you really have to make sure that you're applying that pressure to your network in a positive way. And it's not just what you get you mentioned this, it's what you also are able to give that fully activates a network. Totally. No, I I think that's, that's a thousand percent right, man, is that, you know, even now in the current times, right, like we're trying to figure out how we can be helpful. You know, one of the cool things we just did was, you know, we did sweepstakes, this is with the Chargers, we did sweepstakes for small businesses where they got a chance to win, you know, like a three-month partnership, right? It was like, you know, enter for a chance to win, you know, some of the digital support behind it and get a chance to see how that works. And so, it's cool, man. It's really, really cool. I, you know, it, it's interesting because I'm fortunate, man. I love what I do. I know a lot of people sacrificed a lot for me to, to get to where I'm at. I also know that I've sacrificed a lot, you know, in terms of just moving around and, and bouncing around. But, you know, like I, I get to wake up every morning and, you know, it's, it's hard under normal conditions, right? Like, <laughs> right. You know, but, you know, I get to call CEOs, CMOs, I get to call companies, you know, locally in wherever I'm working and or big Fortune 500 companies. And, you know, I get to sit down and talk to them and figure out what they're working on and how we can kind of work together, how we can be helpful. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's really cool, man. I love what I do. One of the things that in any arena, any area of business, you have to learn the language of the decision makers. You've talked to a lot of business and sports and entertainment leaders. And your goal is certainly how to be helpful, but your goal is how do you get a deal done also? That helpfulness, right, to that business outcome for both sides to win. What are some of the things, what are some of the ways that you communicate value? What are some of the ways you get the attention of these business leaders that help you have productive conversations that move the needle? Yeah, you know, I think that's, that's a good question. I think, you know, communicating value is, it's interesting, right? Like, the first thing you have to do is really understand like, you know, people are in business for a reason. There's something they're trying to accomplish. And again, like I said, I think, you know, as I mentioned, being, you know, mission focused and objective oriented, the company is trying to accomplish some objective. How do we amplify what they're trying to do? And I think, you know, for us, it's really taking a deep dive into their business, into what their objectives are. Hey, you're trying to grow your sales. Hey, you're trying to increase, enhance your, you know, your presence in the community. 
you have clients that you want to entertain, right? And, you know, from there, we think through, well, what are ways you can leverage our organization to do that, right? Like, do you need market far-reaching, you know, sweepstakes? Do you need some kind of hospitality with some kind of VIP experience, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we kind of work to uh, identify value. And I think it is, man, it's, it's building that relationship and taking a deep dive and then just asking about their business, right? Like it's, don't think about like the signage and all the assets at the team level. Think about like, what are you trying to do? Like take us out of the equation. It's the same as being an entrepreneur, right? You're trying to solve problems, right? And the more you solve the problems, right, the more valuable you are. And so for us, you know, I like to view myself as the value, as being in the value creation business, right? Like, what are your challenges? What are you trying to solve? And then how can we create value for you? One of the things that in any business, and I agree with you, we're in the value creation business. And the more you can put specific plans together to solve problems that people have or help them create opportunity, the more they pick up the phone and want to talk with you. That's really that, that powerful separator. And one of the things that you know, I wanted to ask you is, you have that powerful structural education, getting your MBA, right? Top 10 business school, all that good stuff. And then you have that street smart focus as an entrepreneur, right? That hustle, that pivot. Tell yeah. me a couple of key things you learned from both educational experience. One from that MBA experience, one or two, and then some of the things that you learned and takeaways from that entrepreneurial experience. Yeah, no, I think that's a great Great, great question. It's interesting. I think the entrepreneurial spirit and that, that started at FAM. There's so many people that I know, I think about my classmates and my peers at FAMU, that just make a dollar out of 15 cents, right? Like they, they're able to like figure out ways to get it done. And I'm not even, you know, like, I, I mean, I could think of at least five people off the top of my head right now who are all doing incredible things. The talent that was in my undergrad institution as it pertains to just entrepreneurial, like drive, hustle, being scrappy, figuring it out. FAMU was a breeding ground for that. I mean, I think for me, you know, starting my business there was just the best thing I could have done because, I mean, we're, we're talking about a place where school elections, you know, people spend thousands of dollars to be, you know, class president and whatnot. And so you find ways to, to be scrappy and to get it done because you, you know, you got to raise the funds, right? And so, you know, I think for me, it really starts there. And then, you know, Duke was the formal kind of classroom, you know, kind of, you know, piece of it, right? And I think, you know, it's interesting because I, I could have got that while I was at FAM, but, you know, 18 to 23 is just a young, you know, it's a fun time, right? Like, you know, I was, you know, I had a good GPA, but like, man, like I have some friends help get me through college, man. Like without them, I wouldn't have made it. And I think when I went back to school, when I was 30, I was ready to learn, right? And I think it was helpful. Like, Going back at a later age, if you will, I think the average age is 29, but like, you know, classmates that are 25 and some that are a little older, but like, I knew what I was there for. I knew what I wanted to learn. I knew what I wanted to get from it. I was very intentional. Like I, I, I was at A, I knew what B was. I took all the entrepreneurship classes. I took all the marketing classes. Those are the things I was passionate about, right? And because of that, I think I was able to get more out of it because it was just a very structured environment to really, you know, kind of gave me the map of like, okay, you, you want to learn these things, you want to gain these skills, right? Well, let me dive in. Undergrad in general, I think 18 is just a young age to really think about what you want to do with the rest of your life. I went to an all boys high school, family obviously is co-ed, so I probably lost my mind when I first got down there. <laughs> but no, you know, look, I think the reality is, is just like, the combination I think is, is I use it all the time because I mean, there's like a, an EQ and an IQ element, right? Like there's a, how do you navigate people? right? How do you get people to do things, right? Like, 
a lot of MBAs end up working for people who don't have their MBAs who started great things, right? Like, you know, and so I think for me, it was just a function of, you know, let me get the, the tactical skills together. Let me make sure that I know what I'm doing. But at the same time, like, you would never forget how to hustle. You never forget how to, you know, the first event that we did, we invested $12,000 and we made like 28, you know, and it was like, oh, we have something here, right? Like we were literally like running out of club. We went out and got flyers. We put together street teams, all things that we had seen in different function. Like I saw campaign teams and I saw how the people campaign. And I was like, oh, well, I wonder if we apply this to that, will it work? Right. And so you never forget how to hustle. And I think for me, it's just the balance, man. It's just like the thing for me that I think what the experiences do is they give me the ability to be comfortable in a lot of different settings. Oh, right. man, I'm going to jump in for you there because I want to catch a couple things real quick. Number one is you never forget how to hustle. When you go through that journey of trying things where there's no blueprint, the best learning times are having no money, no resources. You have to be creative. Yeah. Because there is no other choice except finding an interesting, fun, and cool way to get your objective. And so it forces an urgency around creativity because you're also on a clock. Because when you have no money, you also have no time. Time buys you money, right? Money buys you time. When you have neither one of those, you got to go now. And then the, the other piece in terms of that MBA piece, that structured education piece that you mentioned, is being comfortable in multiple different settings. Yeah, for sure. Allowing you to operate. Expand on that for a bit. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, man. So when I was throwing parties, man, in St. Louis, I'll never forget, I saw a dude who, <laughs> you know, he his party was sponsored by Ciroc. And I was like, man, like, how did you do that, right? Like, I was like, well, we can do this and we can do it around the country. You know, like, we're doing events around, we've got audiences. I get it. You got to protect your sources, right? So, you know, he was not quick to say, hey, here's the contact for you to do your events. And so we had to figure out, well, how are we going to find people to do sponsor our events, right? And taking the opportunity to go work with the Astros, it was like, man, like a lot of these people have MBAs. Like I'm really big on emulate the greats, right? Like see what they did. Like you want to see the path, like see what they did and then do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's not, I realize that, you know, there's no clear destination on the journey, but like I'm just big on like everything you're trying to do is not necessarily new, if that makes sense. You might have a new spin on it, but like it's not completely new. And so like, I was like, oh, man, a lot of these decision makers had MBAs. And so I was like, oh, we already know how to work from the bottom up. But now maybe if my classmates are, you know, some of the decision makers, right, like now maybe we can work top down, right? And I knew that, you know, if you were able to go get an MBA from, you know, various institutions that, you know, people would be more inclined to take the call, right? Like, I think it never hurts to, to tap in. I always say you build your network, then you activate your network, right? Very similar to how you were saying you, you keep it active. Like, and I think the way you activate it is through giving. As I mentioned, I'm always asking like, hey, like, what can I do? I, and, you know, when I graduated from Duke, I said, hey, can I jump on the Duke Black Alumni Board? Or I moved to LA. I said, hey, can I jump on the MLT LA Board or the National Black MBA Board? Like, how can I give? Right? And I, but I do it in ways that make sense, right? Like, I'm, I'm the social chair. I, I did events. So I'm like, hey, like, I'll keep you guys active and fun. Like I do that well, like let's stay in my lane, right? Like, you know, I'm not out here saying I want to do professional development because on some level, like while I need it, that's not my passion, right? So I try to give in ways that are organic to me. And then you you start building a network, right? You start doing things and it's like, oh, like we work together on this and now I need to get into this company. Maybe you can help me get to that person. And so I think a lot of it is trying my best to just, build that network, activate it, and then, you know, keep it moving throughout. And knowing that, you know, 
there's benefits of the Duke network, there's benefits of the FAMU network, there's benefits of MLT. To me, I'm just constantly focused on like, I just want to be a contributing member of any network that I join. And that's, that is really insightful because everyone from their college networks to their sorority networks through their religious associations or nonprofits have networks that they can activate. It's not a function of what your specific journey is. It's a function of how we all activate the spaces where we have audiences of influence. And you've given some powerful encouragement there. What I would ask as we kind of wind our, our time together is, what do you think and dream of next, right? Like, I know you have a current role. You love your job. I get all that, right? I'm with you. Talk to me about some of the things that still keep you motivated, building, growing. Talk to me about some aspirational things. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I'll never forget, man. Like, there were a few very central moments in my life, man. I went to DeMath. We were ranked number two in the nation in terms of, you know, Sports Illustrated said, hey, what are the best schools for sports in the country? We were ranked number two. And, you know, just having a lot of friends that were enamored with, yeah, the field of athletics. And then my freshman year, I have a really good friend of mine. And I said, you know, he said, hey, what's your dream? And I said, I want to be a general manager. And he said, well, why not own a team? And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And I'll never forget, Chris Rock made a joke, but to paraphrase a little bit. But he was like, this was 2003, 2004. But his joke was like, you know, Shaq is rich. And the man that signed Shaq, Shaq is wealthy. And it just clicked. Like, it was something... I don't know what it was about like hearing it like that, but it was like, man, Shaq's making $25 million a year. How much does the person who pays Shaq make? You know, and it just flipped it for me, man. Like it really did. And I think my big, hairy, audacious goal would be to own a team one day. I realized that, you know, it's, it, that's a very difficult task. I mean, teams are going for $2 billion, right? And right, right. you got to put 20 to 30% down. And so being generous, right? Like a couple hundred million, right? Or build a group, obviously. But no, I mean, look, I, I think that's the biggest thing. I think for me, in full transparency, I realize that a lot of people, people of color, grow up wanting to be on the talent side and don't always understand the business side. And I think for me, a lot of what I'm doing and what I'm passionate about is just, you know, really understanding the business side of entertainment and sports these uh, industries that we gravitate towards because you see it reflected on your television screen or you watch it, you know, when you go to a concert or an you know, athletic event, but you may or may not always know, you know, just kind of how it works in terms of the nuts and bolts. It's a business, right? And so, you know, being able to really understand that is helpful for me because, you know, I think there is an element of, I know when I walk into a classroom, it doesn't matter what the kids look like, but I know that if I say I work with this professional sports team, I command attention. Like, I know that, right? And because of that, right, like, if I'm able to, you know, have a little kid who may have been thinking about wanting to be an NBA star, like, everybody's not going to be 6'8", 240, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I haven't grown since eighth grade. I literally went from a power forward to a point guard in, like, a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> And so, like, I think that part of it, man, is just, like, the part that really motivates me is just, you know, exposure leads to enlightenment. You can't be what you can't see. I'm a firm believer when there's a home run power statement, you kind of let it gently resonate and wind down. And our time together has been short. I don't want it to extend to where we don't stay in touch this long again. You're doing some powerful things. You're a strong thinker. And the, the one thing I would leave our audience with is that activation of your network and being a giver first. 
and then it naturally creates organic opportunities where people want to help you as well. And that's certainly proved itself with Jarrett. And I can attest to that because I've definitely seen good seeds that I've planted over the years come back up and, and being that, that, being that, that giver. So Jarrett, I really appreciate you taking time with us, a wealth of nuggets in what you're doing and I'm cheering for you. I am pulling for you and I want to see you with that team one day, like whatever league you pick, whatever, and 200 million is, is that's right. And call me because I might want to be a little part of it with you. Man, look, we're, we're in it together, man. And look, the feeling is definitely mutual. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you for all your guidance and tutelage during our time together when I was living in, in Durham. And so uh, it's definitely not lost on me. Uh, and so I'm very happy to, to just be a part of everything you're building. Thanks for your time, man. This podcast is edited and produced by Earphones. If you're looking for more information on how full-service podcast production can amplify your voice, build your community, visit EarFluence.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon on the Donald Thompson Podcast.